Hello, I am Celeste White, and today on Dr. Stitches, I am privileged to be with Dr. Camille Knopf, a veterinarian who is also an expert on animal health. So Camille, I have a few questions to ask you today. Okay. And um, of course, our audience is going to be really interested because we are in the middle of this COVID pandemic, and these questions uh, particularly pertain to what a veterinarian would say on this subject. So our first question is, the World Health Organization is investigating the origins of the COVID pandemic. The search has started in Wuhan, the Chinese city where the new coronavirus was first identified. Tracing the virus's path is important for preventing future viral spillovers, but scientists say the uh, World Health Organization team faces a daunting task. I understand that originally most researchers thought that the virus originated in bats. Do you agree with the hypothesis? So do I think COVID-19 came from bat soup? No, I do not. However, I do agree with the scientific community that this virus very likely came from an animal and it could have come from a bat. You have to realize zoonotic diseases, diseases that transmit from animals to human, are something that's going on every single day around the globe. We have over a million viruses in people and in animals and in waterfowl, and 150 of them are known to be zoonotic viruses that can transmit from animals to human. So to look at the origin of the COVID-19 virus that has created this devastating pandemic, we first have to understand the basic principle of how viruses work. First, they need a host. Secondly, they need to be able to replicate within the host. And third, they need to be able to transmit from host to host. The whole goal of a virus is to survive. So they're constantly mutating. Viruses are constantly mutating to increase their level of survival. So in our natural world, viruses usually stay within their own host. They don't have the ability to transmit to another host or even to try mutating to another host because they don't have the exposure. And in fact, scientists that studied HIV and influenza found that viruses that are mutating usually have to successfully cross five to six barriers to successfully infect a new host. If they do infect a new host, typically that new host becomes very ill because they have built up no resistance to the virus whatsoever. So what do we know that bats, bats can give us Ebola virus. Bats are the origin of the rabies virus. Rabies and Ebola really don't affect that bats. They have developed great resistance to those viruses. However, bats carry over 1500 viruses and they have found, now we don't know, and we will know in the next few years, the origin of this virus, but bats do carry multiple types of coronavirus, and one of them is genetically very similar to COVID-19. Then, when you look at Wuhan, the origin of this epidemic, it's the wet market, where we have this huge level of different species, many different species, having a lot of unnatural interaction. And so it's very plausible that this virus came from another animal. For example, we can look at the Nipah virus that was seen in Malaysia and Bangladesh. That virus was found to spread from fruit bats to pigs to humans. 
Now, why did it start there? Well, where it originated was when a fruit orchard was planted right next to a commercial pig farm, giving these two species, fruit bats and pigs, an unnatural amount of interaction, which then allowed the virus the opportunity to keep mutating and to keep trying to infect a new host until it successfully did. Wow. So we see this in different viruses. We see it in the swine flu, which we still have occasional outbreaks within most commonly at county fairs within the United States. When we have the pig barn where the pigs are brought to the fair and we have large numbers of people coming through the barn and we've seen outbreaks of people with influenza-like illness at the same time that pigs have influenza-like illness. Now the difference with the swine flu compared to COVID-19 is that once it infects people, it did not develop the ability for people to transmit it to other people. Interesting. So it's not a viral. And that's why in my lifetime, I have never seen a global pandemic, but I know it's possible because we see so many examples going on of viruses jumping from animal to human. And unfortunately this one mutated in a way that was devastating. So I think the current scientific consensus is that it's most likely not directly from a bat to a human, definitely not from a cooked animal because that kills most viruses, but we will likely discover that there was an intermediate host, some other type of animal. We see this with insect vectors, right? West Nile virus from mosquitoes. We see it from the plague that killed a third of Europe, from fleas that were on rats that were then living very closely in filthy, congested communities. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it jump to people. So it's something that as veterinarians, we've been trained to look for. We are the only ones in public health that are identifying zoonotic diseases when they come in from domestic animals. And most of those diseases, in fact, all zoonotic diseases are reportable to our state veterinarian and to the federal government for them to track. Wow, <laughs> what an interesting um, answer. Thank you for that. I understand that the World Health Organization investigation is now suggesting a different intermediate animal as the origin. How does a virus jump from a bird or mammal to people? Well, as I said, it's simply usually by unnatural exposure. So in our natural world, Viruses don't get that close of proximity with that frequency to different hosts, but in fairs, commercial productions, wet markets in China, when we create these unnatural circumstances, animals that usually don't live together, that usually don't cohabitate, are giving these viruses these novel opportunities to mutate and potentially jump to another animal. Great. Of course, we all know that animals provide many benefits to people. Many people interact with animals in their daily lives, both at home and away from home. Animals provide food, they contribute to livelihood, they share in sport, they provide companionship, and so much more for people across the globe. Millions of households in the United States have one or more pets. We might come into contact with animals in either urban or rural settings during travel, while visiting animal exhibits, or while enjoying outdoor activities. Are we putting ourselves at risk by living so closely with animals? And how high are those risks? That's a great question. And I think, especially in these times, let's talk about it regarding to COVID-19. Because it's a common question by pet owners. 
Am I gonna get COVID from my pet? Or is my pet gonna get COVID from me? How much do I have to be at risk? What can I do to prevent it? Because the reality is, is we do have evidence of COVID-19 in domestic animals in the United States. Our first example was the tiger at the New York Zoo. We have tested, the USDA has tested over 4,000 domestic animals, so not zoo animals, we're talking cats and dogs, uh, for COVID-19, and we have found over 60 positive cases for COVID-19. Now, every single animal that we have found in the United States to be positive for COVID-19, every single one has an exposure to a contagious, sick person with COVID-19. Every single circumstance. We have had no cases that we have seen of animals developing COVID-19 without exposure to a sick person. So the likelihood of you giving it to your domestic pet is much higher than your domestic pet giving it to you. Now, in the United States, we have 60 million cats. We have found positive COVID-19 in 58 cats in the United States, and we have tested thousands of cats. So that shows you it's about one in a million that your cat gets COVID-19. And if it does, it's probably from you. So we do not need to take any precautions with our animals, except if you are sick with COVID-19 and you are isolating from other family members, it's not a bad idea to take some extra precautions with your own pets just so they don't get infected. The thing we have seen with COVID-19 is that unlike viruses that have, some viruses have species specific receptors that they bind to, and they only can bind to receptors in a certain type of species. Well, COVID-19 binds to ACE2 receptors. ACE2 receptors are seen in cats, ferrets, and pigs. So the science is there, but there's no reason to be alarmed. Thank you. I've heard that there's a medical history of previous coronaviruses that have passed from an intermediate animal host and have, has infected people. Is that true? And if so, what happened to that virus? I can't speak to coronavirus in people. That's not my area. But I will say the veterinary community, when we first heard of this coronavirus, all of us looked at each other and said, well, we, we know about coronaviruses. And the most common coronavirus, which in fact, many vet practices still have a vial of coronavirus vaccine sitting in the back of their fridge, is it's becoming less common, but it's a disease of the intestines in very young puppies. Mm -hmm. And it used to be a very common part of the vaccine protocol for young puppies, we're talking four weeks, um, to vaccinate them for coronavirus. That was the name of the vaccine. That vaccine is starting to fall out of favor because it's found to not be very effective, but it's still, it's still part of protocols in many veterinary hospitals around the country. However, that coronavirus is not the same as the SARS-CoV-2, which is what we call the COVID-19 virus in animals. Okay, thank you for explaining that. That's fascinating. Um, the news recently covered the killing of all the farmed mink in Denmark due to the coronavirus. And one report mentioned that the virus had moved back and forth between the farm handlers and the mink. Is this the same COVID-19 virus? And why were the mink killed? So it is the same COVID-19 virus. And I have colleagues that work for the USDA that are actively monitoring mink farms here in the United States. We've had no evidence of meeks giving COVID-19 to people in the United States. However, it's been reported out of the Netherlands and out of Germany 
that they do suspect that minks have been able to transmit it to people, so which is alarming. So minks are closely related to ferrets, which we know have ACE2 receptors. And the original cases that we saw were infected farm workers giving the COVID-19 virus to the minks that they were in close proximity with. And they even found infected cats and dogs on the premises. So we know we don't understand completely the mechanism of how it's working, but we do know that minks are able to contract COVID-19 and it's maybe possible for them to give it to people. Culling animals, we've seen respiratory disease and death in these minks just naturally from COVID-19. And culling animals is part of commercial veterinary care for controlling disease. Okay, very good. Um, and Dr. Knopf, I have one last question for you today, and that is, do you think that we are at risk of future new diseases or outbreaks from animals? I do. I think it's possible that we could see another pandemic. I mean, it takes millions of mutations for a virus to successfully do this, but I think as we have the environments like the wet markets in China, and maybe they're not being well regulated. We can't control how other countries are regulating those premises. In the USDA, fairs, county fairs, state fairs, auctions, all have veterinarians on site that are registered with the USDA that are there to monitor for disease and for the spread of disease. So it's definitely possible. Um, I don't think it's something we need to live in fear about, but I think it's something that we need to be aware of. Well, Dr. Knopf, Thank you so much today for meeting on our Dr. Stitches program. Um, this has really been helpful for so many people. I know I've learned a lot today from you. I wanna thank you also for what you're doing in the veterinary world. Um, we certainly appreciate uh, what the American Veterinary Association is doing to help um, educate our public. And also, I just wanted to end a little bit today with you uh, sharing what you are helping in the um, human population with medical care. I know, I never would have thought in a million years when I went to veterinary school that I would be called upon to be part of the human public health effort. So uh, the state of Nevada, where I live, uh, the governor, Sisolak, has requested all veterinarians that are available to be a part of our vaccine clinics uh, for the COVID-19 vaccine. So as a veterinarian, I will be vaccinating people and I just feel really honored to be a part of it. I'm ready for this pandemic to be over I'm ready for people to be protected and I'm ready for us to be able to move on. And yeah, it's been a great career and I think it's exciting to be helpful for not only our animals, but people as well. Yes, and I assume that you as a veterinarian and healthcare provider, you are vaccinated. I am, I am vaccinated and I am excited about the advances that are happening in the scientific community. And I think that this will help us pivot and be more agile if there ever is another pandemic on the horizon. Well, again, Dr. Knopf, thank you so much for your time yeah. today. And um, this has been a great episode for Dr. Stitches. Thank you for having me.